Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil, aka Joked Maniac, and today we are going to have a very interesting conversation about surrealism, adding it into your game, the ups, the downs, and to be frank, I don't think we come to too many conclusions, but it is a great conversation with Taylor Labresh from Riverhouse Games. But with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So today on the meat, we have a very special guest. Um, and I've brought this up before, and I think I realize in essence my ultimate goal is to bring on everyone that was in that descent or not descent, <laughs> i said descent into midnight but in the blue planet game that is the ultimate lightning in a bottle my penultimate rpg experience and today we're checking off another on that list because taylor labresh is here the host of the game closet podcast the creator of riverhouse games and one of the developers on descent into midnight um which is going to definitely play into our conversation but taylor thanks for coming on yeah hell yeah thanks for having me i am uh a fan not just of you but also of uh the dm's block it's been a show that uh was very formative in the early years of me getting into role-playing games so very happy to to make an appearance here um and uh thank you for the space and the lovely intro of course um so we're gonna jump into our topic of surrealism but before we do we have our interview questions. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, long walks on the beach, but anything you think our listeners would be interested in? Yeah. So uh, like Neil said, my name is Taylor Labresh. I run Riverhouse Games, uh, which you can find online at riverhousegames.itch.io. Uh, you can find a podcast that I do, Game Closet, uh, on all pod catchers that uh, jump into the iTunes charts uh we're on kind of like a semi-unannounced hiatus right now uh we'll see what the future looks like for game closet but yeah uh it, it's very fun i i am a, a queer man i do a lot of thinking about like how do we do queerness in games uh and i think surrealism is something that i really love and, and want to touch on because i think that there's a lot of overlap between like a lot of the the philosophical aims of surrealism with uh, how I see my like queer identity uh, attaching itself to me. Um, and that might be a, a conversation that is above the heads of this topic. But <laughs> uh, I, I'm definitely uh, stoked to come on and talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, you can find me online at Leviathan Files on Twitter, I should say, as well. Definitely. So I is there anything else specifically that you're working on? And of course, I always love that I have to say this, that you can talk about. <laughs> uh not at the moment um i uh so but long story unrelated to role-playing games i took the lsat yesterday uh Whoa. two days ago as of this recording and uh am prepping for going into law school i also just got kind of a, a large promotion uh in my day job so i am taking a step back from games work in terms of creating new things obviously you know uh, I'm still happy to talk about all of the the things that I've been doing for the past five years, but nothing new on the horizon quite yet, just because I'm working on stuff that uh, is not really related to games that requires some attention. I understand that all too well. It's <laughs> staring, in the midst of a 
lateral move, staring down a potential promotion. So nice. Um, we do have a surprise question. Ooh, <laughs> my surprise question. What was your favorite RPG <laughs> moment uh, of all time? No, um, <laughs> um, I think for me, and so I'm tailoring uh, th- that pun intended to you <laughs> and what is probably the most surreal moment off the top of your head in a descent into midnight gate? So this is something that we, uh, I, I really like. Um, it's something that, uh, I got to bond with some friends, uh, in Minnesota, Kyle and Kirsten, uh, two good friends of mine, uh, at Tim beep on Twitter is Kirsten, uh, and at midi chloroquine on Twitter is Kyle. Nice. Uh, they're married. Um, Kirsten's doing some really cool work in Norway, actually studying, migration and uh like uh wildlife impact of reindeer and grazing sheep super cool uh you should go check that out uh so we played descended to midnight it was i think maybe kirsten's first role-playing game or or one of the first few and and kyle had been doing a few and we we told the story of this like uh mangrove city where um you know the the motion of water from uh the denizens living in a mangrove forest kind of gave them their philosophy on life and and they discovered that there was a, a patch of sunlight that was coming through that was was not in flux. So it was this idea of uh something uh something that is a manifestation of perfection being something that is causing uh strife for something wrong uh in your daily life. And so we got to play with that idea of like what is perfect and like strive to like what is the strive towards perfection uh the the negative outcomes of that in our life uh how do we embrace change and embrace imperfection to like find our our inner selves so there's no like one salient moment that really stood out but it it was really kind of backed by that kind of philosophy of you know all of these things that uh that are imperfect or that cause uh, abrasion or like philosophical friction uh, in our life? Uh, how do they actually make like calming, uh, nurturing, like a uh, living environment? I wasn't ready. Um, so <laughs> in case you hadn't gathered from what just happened, this topic is probably bo- going to be both very shallow and very deep um, <laughs> at the same time, because we're going to have to hit on some very wide topics as well as d- diving mm-hmm. deep. But thank you for that, because that's going to get us straight into our topic and that is surrealism. So I honestly didn't know how to begin and define it. So I will Mm -hmm. throw out what is basically a textbook definition and then we can spin from there. But basically a 20th century avant-garde movement in art and literature, which sought to realize the creative potential of the unconscious mind, for example, by an irrational juxtaposition of images. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably what most people think of when they, when they hear the term surrealism, Mm -hmm. melting clocks. Let's just be honest. Like that is the absolute (laughs) go-to. But I think, so for me, like what was the biggest thing that drew you to this topic? Because this was yours to, to bring to the table. Yeah. So I pitched this um, because it's something that I am also thinking about in my game design work. So I also do not have a perfect idea of like what surrealism in tabletop RPGs mean. But I know that I'm kind of a person who the way that I work through ideas and come to like resolving things that are unsolved in my mind is one by talking to people about it, which we're doing. 
and two by like working on a project about it. So for me, that might be like writing a game or, you know, or playing a game, even creating something or, or making a story that, that can then tell, I guess, the, the quote unquote problem that needs to be solved. There's a, a quote that I never remember the actual quote for, like the words for it that's in uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's Introduction to the Left Hand of Darkness, which is one of my favorite novels ever written, that says that the novelist's job is to answer a question uh, that I think I think if I'm getting it kind of as close as I can to it, the novelist's job is a is to answer a question that cannot be asked in a way that cannot like that doesn't use words. So like words, sentences, creating arguments uh, and and um, ideas is something that uh, that fails us in a lot of things that are like the je ne sais quoi. You, you can't say it kind of weird way of thinking. Uh, and again, we're like, we're cyclical. This is, this is why I love surrealism is that like a lot of surrealism seeks to answer things that we can't just like ask and answer with words to, to answer your, why did I choose this? It's like, because I don't know, like it's something that I'm thinking about a lot, but I don't know how to answer it right now. Yeah. And one of the interesting points, cause this is, not all of the topics that we bring up are ones that I feel like require research. Mm-hmm. Just in honesty, like there's certain topics where if you, you'd say like, let's talk about this f- fantasy race. I'm like, yeah, yeah, can do. I got like enough decades <laughs> worth of experience. I'm sure I can fill 30 minutes of time. Uh, yeah. This was not one of those. So what, <laughs> I, what I found most interesting was that there is the potential to call every RPG game in every video game, a level of surrealism. Sure. Because of it's using your imagination and your unconscious mind to fill in those Mm -hmm. gaps. And so for me, what I like about what I like thinking in that regard is like, oh, if I'm already there, why am I not turning those dials farther? Mm -hmm. Like, because that was my first thought with like D&D and why I was drawn to this topic was, why am I not pushing that envelope? Like yeah. if there's ninth level spells, like literally everything is on the table yeah. and, and yet you have this, this big push for everything to be steeped in reality, which I'm just like, mm-hmm. but no, none of it ever will be. <laughs> right. Like you're, especially with D and D, like you're playing games that even just like in the base assumption, like the, the game asks you to suspend your disbelief in a world that dragons exist or elves exist. Like those are already just like kind of by basis surrealism. Like it's, they are things that are not real, but we we treat them real, right? Like they're, they are part of the, I'm going to use like a big $10 word, the verisimilitude of the mm-hmm. game or of the setting. They like, we accept that they are real because they are real within that setting. And you know, that is redundant or it says itself but like what i what i think about in terms of surrealism in games is more than just the fantasy of things like if you are playing a delta green game like you are accepting that there are going to be things that challenge like reality and so one of the weird questions that i'm like trying to think about when i think about surrealism in games is like is that surrealism like when you go into delta green you are expecting or you are like believing you're bought into this world in which like up does not mean down or like that there are colors that do not exist or like any of these different things and trying to think about the way that we look at games and the way that we look at like genres like is that actually surrealism because like a lot of the the surrealism that we think about surrealism came from the early 1900s so like 
1900s through like 1920s, 1930s is like where a lot of the big surrealists did their work, like Salvador Dali or, uh, you know, any of the Dadaists. So they they came into place before we have kind of like what is the modern idea of like a genre. And so a lot of these things that are like fantasy or science fiction or uh, or like eldritch horror, like all of these things have aspects of like this reality, but I don't know if they are surrealism, if that makes sense. So like, I'm going to toss it back to you, Neil, and say like, if we're thinking about a game that has like a dragon or like an elf or like magic that rewrites the rules of reality, but like, we know that that is like, quote unquote, true for that setting. Like, I don't know if that's surrealism or not. Yeah. I think especially when you start to get into the aspects, especially that are codified, like yeah, yeah, it's in the rules. So I think about the idea of like, okay, so there are elves, there are dragons, there's magic, but let's take that magic and let's make that where I'm literally inserting you into the subconscious mind of like, let's say a lich. Mm-hmm. And I think now we can start to delve into the like surrealism of the whole conversation yeah. because like not like it's almost that second layer mm-hmm. because we've codified the first layer, but that second one, all bets are off. Yeah. And like, I think that one of the things that, is required for like what I'm trying to think about in terms of what surrealism does for me is like the element of surprise or like the element of a challenge. Cause like when, when surrealism in painting was like really popular with with the melting clocks and everything, it was like a, a response to the rise of photography. And so we started to see painters move from Hey, the, the value in this painting is it's photorealism, which is a term that we even get from the realism that photography gives us, where it's like the, the paintings are detailed and very real. Like we can do that with a photograph now. And so when we look at what, uh, what we're valuing artistically in a, a painting, like we can start looking at things that challenge that. Like we no longer have to strive for reality. We can start looking at like, what is expressed by the painting so we can get into like expressionism which is about like the the emotions that the paintings draw from us or uh and then the the surrealists said how do we uh like surprise you how do we challenge uh your your ideas how do we make you like uncomfortable looking at a painting so we look at uh like Hieronymus Bosch with his like weird hellish nightmare scapes and all of the imps eating each other and like we we start to look at like surrealism as a way of like disrupting your idea of like what we're going to look at in a painting and you know all of my talking in surrealism is is very much betrayed by the fact that like my favorite brands of surrealism are Dadaism which is very much like a a big middle finger to kind of uh like popular tastes and aesthetics like the very famous photograph of the urinal that's been signed. That's a, a Dadaist work and absurdism, which is uh, more of a philosophical, well, I mean, Dadaism is philosophical, but like absurdism is very much like a, a response to the depression of nihilism of like nothing matters. Um, but absurdism is like, cool. If nothing matters, then like, let's go bonkers and have a blast with it. Mm-hmm. Like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is very much a, an absurdism experience. So when we look at like role-playing games, I'm super interested in like, how do we recreate that surprise and like those challenges um, artistically? Well, I think, well, I think one of the things that you hit on that I think is probably the most important takeaway thus far, we got time, there may be another one. And I may say that this first one is trash, (laughs) but the, the one that you hit on is subverting those expectations. So the, like the idea of just the 
even my home game I think of, I have players that have played for so long. There is an element almost of surrealism that I am required to add because everything is just, if everything is the same, Mm -hmm. then how much fun could it possibly be? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a limit at that at that point because, there, sure. it, like you said, it's almost that cycle. But the idea of having something that subverts their expectations completely because mm-hmm. it's different, I think, starts to dive into that surrealism. The other thing I think of is like right now, the Feywild is at the forefront because Wild yeah. Beyond the Witchlight just came out. But I also think of like the Shadowfell and like those planar travels, those echoes of the codified material plane, I think are rife to just delve deep because everything can be different but close enough Mm -hmm. i don't know that i had much from there but uh, yeah no i i think that it is very cool because like it that makes me think about like the uncanny valley and like how do we we play with the idea of like what's what's similar enough and comfortable enough that we can exist in it and buy in because like you never want to be like hey i'm gonna push the boundaries of what you're comfortable with and you're not gonna like that's not fun but we want to do something that's like just there enough to like unsettle a little bit. So uh, I guess for folks that are like might not be familiar with Uncanny Valley, it's like the the weird like when you look at a CGI human, you're like, that's not quite human. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel weird. Like, I, I think that is kind of like what I want. Like, that's that's what I want out of a role playing game that I don't necessarily know quite that I've found yet. Yeah. And I think of like think that they're i mean mainly because i just watch it all the time is rick and morty i think yeah yeah that they hit that level of surrealism because of like basically time and space travel on the regular without questions like sure it's just happening and i think that mm-hmm. i think that's helpful too with surrealism is that you're not you're like you're going back to the first things you're, you were saying is like you're almost not asking questions to find answers and you're all, mm-hmm. almost not getting answers from exactly what's said but it's like this this feeling this this element of like something's wrong yeah but in a way that's okay yeah and i i think that's really cool what you just said there because it, it definitely is something that i didn't quite think about before is that like the the surrealism that i love doesn't explain itself and it doesn't necessarily like expect you to expect that it's explained and like especially now like a lot of uh and i'm gonna make a blanket statement here uh a lot of nerd culture is like very much in terms of like the the defined or like the explained Mm -hmm. like you see a ton of youtube videos of like you know the ending of such and such movie explained or like uh you know the top 10 plot holes in avengers endgame and it's just like you know they didn't tell us what hawkeye had for lunch (laughs) Dang it! (laughs) like the frequent coming up of like prequels that set out to tell the story of like someone in an an existing medium like the the fact that we're getting like a nurse nurse pratchett prequel for one flew over the cuckoo's nest Mm. is like a lot of these things are like the that we're hungry for for additional stories and we're hungry for explanation of things that were kind of uncannily unexplained and i love that about surrealism too and there's something that people definitely don't like and some people really love because I think sure. with the we're on the cusp of Young Justice season four and you know full mm-hmm. well how invested I am in that. But <laughs> there is a t- there is a time skip between every season. Yeah. That just is. Yeah. As, as reality based as that show is in the sense that it is progressing forward in a way that most shows, their surrealism is that the show's been on for 30 years, but the character is still seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one moves forward in time. Mm-hmm. 
as you would and doesn't explain that gap, Mm -hmm. Um, which is interesting to think of its level of surrealism because it just goes unexplained because people live their lives. Yeah. And like, yeah, so what? We moved on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when we're thinking about like role playing games, that's very fun to me to think about in terms of like both as a player and as a designer, because there's there's, I guess, two avenues that we can take a look at. At, at there, which is one things that are like uncanny or challenged or surprising in the setting, but then also in the mechanics. There's uh, a concept called the fruitful void, which I think was popularized by Avery Alder, the designer who did Monster Hearts in the Quiet Year, of like look at what isn't mechanized in your games because that's that can tell you. Uh, or can help to tell you what the game is really about because it asks you to do the heavy lifting. And I think that that's something that can go into how, if we're looking at like, how do we incorporate surrealism in our RPGs? That there, I think might give us a roadmap to say like, what work are we doing to interpret the art and how does the art aid us or challenge us or leave us hanging? Because that's a lot of when we look at how to interpret surrealism art, like if we're looking at a painting of melting clocks, we have what we have there. So we have the idea of time. We have, you know, uh, something that we are thinking is fixed and mutable or immutable. Uh, a second is a second, you know, but when Dali melts them or changes how they're displayed in a physical space, He's saying, you know, time is time is relative. Time is something that moves, that can be melted, that can be destroyed, and uh, that can make us uncomfortable, right? Like it's a a kind of a challenge to I- imperialism. It's a challenge to like the way that we commodify time, and it's supposed to make us uncomfortable because we've always thought of time as this like concrete thing in our life. And I don't know how necessarily to do that in like a role-playing game that uses like dice and stuff. But I would love if you, if you had ideas or if you had a reaction to that. So I did. It would yeah. deepen my soul. No, one of, one of the biggest things is like, while there, while it is true, mm-hmm. that time is technically the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is not experienced the same yeah. for everyone. Yeah. 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 It's the biggest key because like you and I could go, let, you know, let, we get in a car and we have a drive and yep. I'm, I'm loving every second of it. You are hating every second of it. And we yep. get to the place like, you know, both time and space have been experienced in the same to a degree. Be- mm-hmm. But then like for you, it felt like an eternity. And for mm-hmm. me, it felt like we just got there instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I think of is really funny on those is that what if you fell asleep? Yeah. And for you, it's literal time travel. For me, like I didn't, I think as a kid, I was probably like in my teenage years before I knew how to get anywhere because I fell asleep instantly. And it was like time travel because <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, we're at my grandparents' house because I was just at my house moments ago. So I think yeah. trying to find that that piece to add into there because mm-hmm. I think of like um, like a battle, a pitched battle where mm-hmm. for one character it is just fighting. Mm-hmm. But for another character, it's fighting this person that means so much to them and their character mm-hmm. and finding the elements to live in that space more for the one and less for the other. And because mm-hmm. then it's almost this surreal moment for that one character because everything is happening, all these emotions, all these other experiences are being drawn up and the other one just wants to hit things. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I don't have a good jumping off point for that. 
So one of the ways that I can think of how to do this, and I, I've never tried this, so you, you were literally breaking new ground and technically doing what is referred to as game design in this moment, is <laughs> what if, because battles often take so long, what if there was a break and like you start the battle and end the session, yes. only to come back and replay parts of the moments that were pivotal for the one character, allowing mm. your other PCs to become almost NPCs in that formative story. So mm-hmm. you're almost living an extra moment for the one character and not for the others. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Like you, you, we can play with kind of like the structure of of narrative because that's mm-hmm. another thing too. Is like traditionally role playing games have been very like linear in terms of what cause and effect is. Uh, like we think you know this happens that caused that, but playing with time allows us to kind of like rewrite the rules of cause and effect. So we can say, you know, this, uh, this fight happened and it was caused by X, Y, Z, you know, going back, we can change that. We might be able to have like, uh, if we wanted to lean into the more surrealist, you know, feelings there, we can say like, let's establish conflicting ideas of what the cause was um, that might be experienced by either participant. You know, I, I think just the exercise of, collaborative storytelling allows us to do that like you know each each player bringing something new or or surprising others with uh different aspects of of the way that we change how we experience that one event uh i think would be something that's very cool and i i think the idea lends itself more to the surrealism because you're not you're not in a codified space if we're we're trying to use uh continued verbiage if you will because now it's that person's memories of what Mm. happened there the other the other time i think of like turning that dial is the you know the adage that your life flashes before your eyes Mm -hmm. so throwing it back into dnd 5e so if someone is going to make a death saving throw taking that extra time because that already makes the death potential death um Mm -hmm. more than it would have been but also living in those moments of having parts of their life flash before their eyes, because you can also leverage that to be more narrative elements going mm-hmm. forward. Yeah, I think that would be cool. I don't know necessarily that it would be fun. <laughs> Wait, that's it. We didn't ask for fun. We asked for cool. No, <laughs> no, because I, I think that and especially for D&D, like I don't think that it the game is necessarily built to to handle that or support that mm-hmm. where I think that there's a lot going on. Anytime someone is doing a death saving throw, it's like there's probably like seven or eight other things happening and stopping to say like, okay, cool, let's break into this. I don't know necessarily that I would have fun doing that, but it definitely I think would be a very cool like aspect or or incidence of surrealism that it would definitely fill a lot of those things that we're looking at. Okay, so yeah. We have not answered any of the questions on the outline and we don't, no. I don't care about them. So the other thing I was thinking is, is there a moment? I mean, cause one of the other things is as a developer on descent into midnight mm-hmm. that touches into this realism because nothing exists that should in mm-hmm. the world. If yeah. not, I don't even know how to describe it because you're, you're living in a <laughs> world that is deep under the ocean that has never been touched, touched by humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I mean, that is baked in almost to have surrealism. Uh, yeah, from for sure. Very different angles as someone who's played that game several mm-hmm. times with never the same group. I don't know where I'm going other than like, <laughs> what I guess tools are you trying to put in place so that people have a good time while having that surrealist experience? 
Yeah. So I think it's, it's kind of a tight balance to walk because some of the, the things about surrealism, the, the classic surrealist work, the treachery of images by Rene Magritte, the, the pipe that says in French, this is not a pipe underneath it. Like the, when we look at um, a lot of these like classic works, like we have come to accept them now and give them worth now, but looking kind of back in time, a lot of those things were, were challenges, uh, were, were not maybe received very positively. Fountain by Marcel Duchamp uh, only exists at a, as a photograph. Actually, I should say Fountain by someone, because Duchamp only took credit for it. He didn't actually do it. Is by Baroness Elsa von Freytag-Loringhoven is uh it only exists as a photograph because it was uh either some say it was destroyed some say it was just thrown out in the trash like it was it received in a way such that it no longer exists um <laughs> yes uh so they're not necessarily very like fun to originally experience but when we're looking at role playing games we want to be able to have that fun and so it's uh, it, it's kind of playing that line of the uncanny valley of like this is close enough to be something that is is fun and not necessarily disruptive enough, but also like a little bit of that challenge. So we we want to really, you know, strongly encourage you to move away from anything that is is human to uh, to get rid of any sort of like anthropomorphization of your characters. We also like really want to like challenge you to think not necessarily in terms of some of the more traditional aspects of role-playing games and in like like what you think your character does or is uh so we we encourage you to play character concepts like abstract ideas or non-individualized uh, persons so a perfect example just to continue that thought is that yeah, one yeah. of the characters that i played was the echolocation remnants of a dolphin that had died um, yeah basically so there was no physical form but when i was there you knew i was mm -hmm. and when i wasn't you knew i wasn't right and right. so it was almost like yeah i existed as a realm of influence rather than as any physical entity right and playing that character requires you neil to challenge your ideas about like what does a, a character as a vehicle for narrative mean if it's not like a, a physical person or if it's not like an individualized entity. Yeah. I just imagine trying like trying to play that character in D and D. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it works, but like, but the, but asking those questions is real, I think is ends up being really important because mm -hmm. um, if you're not pushing your own limits, then I mean, if you're not moving forward, you're only moving backward. Come on, something mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> right. And it also like it that using that specific character idea, it like it, it was a surprise and it was challenged to all of the rest of us because we are also then looking at how do we interpret our reactions to this person? How do we interpret our relationship? Which falls perfectly into like that that goal of surrealism is to surprise and to challenge the the viewer. There'd be so much fun as an NPC. <laughs> they, and, and that that's also another good way to look at it is it is it is if the players the players do need that code codified world because they're gonna need to make roles mm -hmm. when you start to have those aspects be the environment the world an npc then you can really start to again turn those dials because those aren't questions that have to have 
these specific answers for every single thing. There's no character. There doesn't need to be a character sheet for an NPC. Mm-hmm. You can certainly have one, but like there, that's not required. Right. Okay. So I think we're, <laughs> so we're on the cusp. And so now I will ask what I feel is my absolute favorite question. And that is homework. So if there are, if there anything that you can think of that comes to mind that our listeners can read, they can watch, they can interact with um, when it comes to examples of surrealism. I would be remiss in our terms of like hustle culture and like our, our grind culture. If I didn't say, Hey, there are some great surrealism Riverhouse games that you can go check out. Obviously Descent to Midnight, I would love for people to play and check out. Uh, that is a game that I uh, made with my friends, Rich Howard and Richard Kreutzlandry, as well as a, a fantastic team of, of folks who are working on that. Uh, but also um, if we're looking for games that are like really like, push what surrealism is because i've been thinking about this for a while at like at least a year and a half i've been trying to think like what actually is surrealism in role-playing games because every medium treats surrealism differently and surrealism treats every medium differently and i would love for for folks to check out two things on riverhousegames.itch.io if you are looking specifically for uh surrealism the first is uh gurps the treachery of images which is games unruly rending piping sense uh, the Treachery of Images, which is a uh, game design manifesto that I don't know that I necessarily agree with anymore, <laughs> but it's like 20 to 30 pages of game design thoughts, uh, small little surreal lyric games, and just kind of like uh, me thinking through things that in the creation of itself is, uh, I I, ca- I am calling it a game. I'm very concrete. I'm. Co- it is yes. itself a role-playing game that is, that contains thoughts, notes, and other games in itself. And then the second thing is uh, Machine Gun, which is inspired by the jazz album of the same name, which I will also recommend people check out uh, by the Peter Bratzman uh, octet quartet. I can't remember. But Machine Gun is a maybe a more immediate and playable example of surrealism. And I won't give away too much of the rules because part of the game is not knowing what the rules are um, and not knowing what the rules are uh, is uh, not a prerequisite for being able to play a role playing game. So the the album, the jazz album, uh, Machine Gun, many people have called it a wall of sound. It's not a very like it's not a smooth jazz. It's not an easy listening album. Uh, it's a series of musicians um, essentially just screaming out into the void with their instruments. And it was made uh, as a response to uh, the rise of global fascism in the 80s in in Europe. There's if people really want to read about this, uh, <laughs> I that's another thing, like on a tangent, something that I really love about surrealism is that it is intensely political. Uh, you know, every aspect of surrealism is making a very strong statement about uh, like how we think about and view and experience things. Machine gun is one of my favorite things. So uh, in playing machine gun, you are not, you are able to know an amount of rules that is equal to however many rules one person can read out while another person is looking up a recording of machine gun by Peter Bratzman. And as soon as that recording starts, you're, you don't know any more rules of the game and you have to play it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But then I would also recommend folks to check out any number of different lyric games. Uh, if you go to uh, itch.io, that's I-T-C-H dot I-O, you can uh, sort by physical games. And then if you just search 
Uh, Lyric games, you can find a lot of games that are tagged that way. Lyric games are not in themselves surreal, but there are many that are surreal uh, or, or next to it. And I think I already also mentioned it. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I mm-hmm. think, is a, a very good piece of surrealism, um, specifically absurdism. Uh, I, I do love that. I used to read it every year. I think I haven't for the nice. past like four or five, but uh, I can still like I, I can still do the um, far out in the uncharted backwaters of the unfashionable end of the Western spiral arm of the galaxy lies a small unregarded yellow sun bit. Um. <laughs> yes. So some of the ones that I had in my head. Um, so the anime Berserk. Um, if you have heard watched, that's really good if you well it's unfortunate that like there's only one season because like the okay. manga goes way beyond um but he he was just writing it at a pace mm-hmm. that couldn't sustain um i think it is a great way to observe how to take what is i think is a fairly traditional fantasy story and then go wild surreal with it mm-hmm. you're not going to see it coming and then it ends and you're just left without answers, and I, I, like, which feeds into the conversation we've certainly had. The other one that k- kept coming to my mind is playing everyone as John. Mm. Um, I think it's a really good dabble into a very surreal <laughs> experience. Of, mm-hmm. If you haven't played it, just look it up. I don't want to tell you more because, um, <laughs> yeah, just play everyone as John at least once. Yeah. The other one that I think of, and now it actually only has a 20 comic run, is Die. I've brought it up before, and if you haven't read it yet, please go read it, where basically there are mythical dice. Each person gets one die, they become a character, and they exist in this surreal world because it's also like there is their, their air quote, real world. But then mm-hmm. they go, and then they come back, and then they go back again. And so it's this really weird concept of time and it, it existing in one space and another and what happens in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those are mine. I think I'm going to throw out a weird out of left field thing that is only because it's what I'm watching right now as we do our interview. Uh, I think deathmatch wrestling is an example of surrealism uh, in that it is a genre that plays with the medium in a way that is surprising and challenging. If folks are not super familiar and this might be graphic. So I'll let Neil decide editor, Neil. Yes. How much he wants to keep, but there are, uh, you know, there's increased violence. There's there's spots with blood and uh, weapons like light tubes are used a lot. Uh, and all of these are very superficial. Like the convention here is to create the image of something that is supremely violent while only actually causing very like superficial injuries. So like a, a cut to the forehead is going to bleed a lot, but it's not going to do anything to you. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a way to play with like the conventions of professional wrestling, which is itself a farce of, you know, MMA or martial arts or, you know, any other of these like combat sports in a way that is uh, overly melodramatic and deathmatch wrestling uh, itself kind of like pushes that to the extreme in a way that seeks to make the viewer uncomfortable, one might argue. I'm I'm still very new into wrestling as a whole and deathmatch wrestling specifically, but like I'm really finding a love to it by the way that it kind of like tries to push that envelope, but also remaining uh, an art form that is really heavily dependent on like trust and consent and care because like you're doing all of these things and you're making sure that your uh, your like quote unquote opponent 
is safe, that you're safe, that like everything is going on for a performance, that the audience is safe as well. If you're doing it good, obviously, you know, as with any type of art, there are people who are bad actors and can mess with the conventions of anything to create anything unsafe. That's really interesting because as someone who watches MMA pretty yeah. consistently, um, yeah, the level of one hit causing an, a copious amount of blood to to come yeah. out, um, but then changing the way that you're looking at that from both like a narrative um, mm-hmm. perspective, because that's one of the big things about wrestling is that the narrative, the the yeah, essence and sure. all the character behind it, that you're adding that almost a, as a layer on top of. So, okay, it's staying in. We didn't, <laughs> nice. we didn't say any bad words. There we go. <laughs> We're good. Okay. So now my most important question is where can people go on the internet to find all of the amazing things that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first way is on Twitter. I am at Leviathan Files. Uh, the second way is by checking out Game Closet Podcast. Uh, it's on iTunes and everything. If you are a Star Trek fan, you can also check out the RSS Defiant, which is a show that I make with uh, my partner, Ash. And then uh, Kyle and Kirsten, who we've already talked about, uh, you can find that at RSS Defiant, I think on Twitter as well. We are four friends with two missions. The first is to have fun. The second is to objectively rank every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then uh, you can also find my games at riverhousegames.itch.io. Uh, including the two that I mentioned uh, and 35 other games. And 35. (laughs) And on the note of and 35 other games, Taylor, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. Absolutely. Neil, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and chat with you. Uh, I'm very happy that we could do this where I can see your face and hear your voice. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Perfect. And I am sure we will at some point have you back on. We just want to thank Taylor again for coming on, spending some time with us, having this conversation about surrealism, how to add it to the game, where, when, why, what, and all of those other things. And of course, if you wanted to get a hold of us and let us know how you've been adding surrealism to your game, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, you can head over to Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, your podcatcher of choice, um, and leave us a five-star review. And of course, let other people know about the show. If you want to follow us on social media, you can always do so at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block on Twitter. And of course, you can like us on Facebook and follow us there. As always, the Dungeon Master Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. As always, we want to thank you for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night, good luck, and keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.